You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. While Jesus was together with the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? They're looking for a very clearly articulated political revolution. That's the point of the question. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken away or been taken from you in heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. We know about the life of Jesus. We know about the birth of Jesus. We know about the crucifixion of Jesus. We know about the resurrection of Jesus. We rarely consider the ascension of Jesus. And then when we do consider the ascension of Jesus, the mythology around the interpretation of the ascension in things and in depictions like art and poetry and other things, but especially in art, we find in painted art, we find that we have concluded that Jesus' ascension is more about his absence. The ascension is when Jesus floated up into the air and into outer space to leave earth and reign in heaven. And this is the image. This is the imagination we form around the ascension, his feet dangling from the air as the disciples watch. See, like, like we have this like Jesus who's, who's blasting off, right? This is Jesus. And this disciple's like, what? You know, and, and you see, like, this is how we depict it. This is, this is the image. This is our imagination for ascension. Jesus is taken up. We interpret taken up as shooting into the sky, right? Here's another interpretation. This is Jesus saying, whoa, you know, and, 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 and all like, you know, rising up again, you know, shooting up into the sky. Here's another interpretation. This is Jesus saying, bye. You know, like, I, like we, we assume that in ascension, Jesus has said bye to the disciples. This is his absence. That instead of it being the exaltation of Jesus, it's the evacuation of Jesus saying, you know, bye, Felicia, good luck, you know, with what you got going on. And then this is, this is another interpretation. This is Jesus kind of jumping really high and, 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 and kind of floating off. And then here's another interpretation. You know, this is, at least they got the, almost the ethnicity correctly. They were close there. But this is Jesus, you know, in the sky, you know, you know, tell the pilots to watch out, right? Like, this is Jesus floating up into the sky, covered by the clouds. Here's another interpretation. This is Jesus, like, like, just like taking off. Like, that's what I like about this. This is Jesus, like, taking off like Superman. But my favorite is this one. This is, like, for real Superman Jesus. This is Jesus, like, shooting up. The only thing he's missing is this thing right here. Um, this is the imagination, though. This is the imagination. So let me stop. Heaven is not up there. Please, 
let's, let's stop telling our children that. You know where heaven is? Heaven is another dimension that surrounds us that we are incapable of entering into because we are in these bodies and we haven't received our new ones yet. Heaven is a dimension, not some sort of mystical up there location. Theologically speaking and contextually speaking, they would have understood the heavens as to be another place where life dwells. That is why in the scriptures, particularly even in the Old Testament, when one of God's prophets are surrounded by the armies, remember the prophet? And he says to his servant, you, we, we are surrounded by the heaven's armies. And the servant says, I can't see it. And the prophet says, Father, open his eyes, or God, open his eyes so he can see. And the Bible says he sees chariots of fire and angels all around the enemy army. That's the heavens revealed. That is why when the Bible says that the new heavens and new earth will come, there's not something like this. It's more like this. It's all-encompassing. And contextually speaking, when the people of God wrote this text and they talked about Jesus ascending to the heavens, they were not, are like taken up to the heavens. They were not making ascension out to be His absence. They were not making His exaltation out to be His evacuation. Jesus hasn't left us. He isn't absent in our lives because He hasn't evacuated from the world. When they use the term taken up to the heavens, that is a political term that means He has been raised up in power. Taken up, raised up. He has been promoted. Jesus takes His very real body, the same body that ate breakfast with the disciples. Remember that body? Post-resurrection, remember that? He sees the disciples, they, they can't believe it's him, to prove to them that he has a bodily existence. He eats something, that very same bodily existence, albeit different from ours in some way, but albeit similar to ours in some way, is the same bodily existence that went and was ascended into heaven. Jesus takes our humanity into heaven, which is why, listen, which is why when Peter said, when Paul says, we are seated at the right hand of, we are seated in the heavenly places, that's what he means. That is why we have a great high priest who knows our weaknesses, because a bodily Jesus ascended to the heavens. His ascendancy is not his absence. But ascension still remains this lackluster event in this series of extraordinary events, though. Like it's because we don't have an imagination for it because we're too smart, too Western, too rational, too enlightened. As if Eastern people aren't intelligent, right? There's just a there's just a way of seeing it, right? We Western people think we are so intelligent that we can't believe in the supernatural. It's this lackluster thing. Right? Like we, we know a life of love that involves a ministry that, that heals the hurting, welcomes the unwelcomable, dines with the, re, the dejected, and it ends in a trial that leads to a death sentence as an enemy of the state and crucifixion. We know that about Jesus. And then we know about the miraculous and unexpected resurrection of Jesus that overcame Rome. Jesus in resurrection demonstrated that Rome actually has no power. It can kill, but it can't destroy. 
right? Like it has no power. It's fear and violence has no power. And then just a few verses in the scriptures use a language that in their day makes far more sense than our own when they say Jesus goes up into the heavens. To them, up into the heavens is that poetic expression of royal ascendancy, of exaltation, of supreme power. It has political meaning to them. To us, it has no political meaning. It just means up into space. And so we miss the power of the ascension. Paul didn't miss it. Paul didn't miss it. Let me ground this for you explicitly in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, listen to what he says. I pray that the perception of your mind be enlightened. So first thing Paul realizes is that we need a mind change. We need to open our mind. We need an imagination. We need to see this. I pray that you will have the eyes of an imagination of the mind to see so that you may know what is the hope of his calling What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness? Say immeasurable greatness. So how measurable is that greatness? Immeasurable. The immeasurable greatness. Now, come on now. Y'all going to have to get just a little bit more Pentecostal because this thing gets real. The immeasurable greatness of his power to us. To who? To us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to his working of his vast strength. He demonstrated. Now, just so he, just so he could show it, because he knew we needed him to prove it, he demonstrated it. He proved his power. He demonstrated it, this power in the Messiah, by raising him from the dead, and read it with me, seating him at his right hand in the heavens. At his right hand. Anybody know what that means in Paul's day? That is a political expression. It is a place of all authority and power. When the king says, sit at my right hand, the king is saying, you are going to sit in the place of all authority and power. It is not a geographical place. It is a socio-political heavenly reality that Jesus possesses the place of supreme authority and power. Now, Paul wants to make that clear, right? So he says, seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Read this with me far above every ruler and authority. So what ruler is above Jesus? So so now, far above every ruler and authority, keep going, power and dominion and every title given. We love our titles in our country, every title given. But check this, not only in this age, you see that? Far above every ruler, authority, and title given, not only in this age, which includes this age. What age is he talking about? What age is he talking about when he says not only in this age, this age? What age is he talking about? He's talking about now, the reign of sin and death. There's not a nation authority. There's not a president or a king or a ruler or a dictator. There is not a human being that has more authority than Jesus now. Now. And in the age to come. So he tacks that on. Paul wants us to see Caesar is not Lord. Rome is not the empire that will last forever. That's his point. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything in the what? For the church. So what is Jesus head over for the church? Everything. But listen to this, listen. Which is his body? So who's who's the body of Jesus now? The church. Listen though, listen, here it goes. The fullness of the one. 
The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So who now is the embodied fullness of God in the world? Who? Now, how is that possible? Because he fills everything in every way. Without ascension, Christ not having all authority and supremacy cannot be present everywhere at all times. Here's what I mean. Before the ascension, Jesus was located in one place, wasn't he? Come on, think about it. Before the ascension, Jesus could be found over here or over there, right? He wasn't over here and over there. He was either over there in Galilee healing the sick, or he was over here preaching in the synagogue. Jesus was located and limited in the body of reign of sin and death, in the body that we have. He was located and limited. But now, because he has ascended, Paul seems to believe that he fills all things in every way. Jesus is not absent. If we read the Gospels as to mean, and then Jesus went off to heaven, but someday he will come back and bring with him God's kingdom, if that's how we read it, then we could all too easily believe that we are free to run our lives any way we want and assume that Christ is absent. And what this ends up doing is it reduces Jesus from being the eternal Lord at God's right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given not only in this age but the age to come, to now being the Lord elect to being installed later when he returns. And if we imagine Jesus as being up there in heaven, waiting to come back someday to begin his reign, then we have no other option but to return to the idea that we can adequately control our lives on our own terms. But if the ascension is not about absence, but about exaltation, then we have to reckon with the fact that Jesus right now is Lord and that he's Lord of all things. He's not Lord elect to be sworn in at his return. He is the Lord of Lords right now. He's been seated at the right hand of God, which is to have the absolute authority over all things. And the ascension is now where God in Christ, where Christ is neither here or there, but he is now everywhere. There's not one place in the entire universe that his presence cannot enter in. There is not one place in the entire universe where the power and authority of Christ cannot be made known. Not one. He fills all things in what? In every way. And so here's what this means. If you have confessed that Jesus is Lord, you never have to wonder where Christ is. You never do. You may feel something, and that's real. But the ascension of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, where He was now deemed all authority and supremacy and power, you never have to wonder where He is. There is now no place where Christ is not, and there is no domain over which Jesus is not Lord. It is one thing whether or not people want to believe Him to be Lord, but He is still Lord whether we believe Him to be it or not. Jesus is not far off. He is not absent. He is not separate from you. He is with you. You know why the love of God can't be separated from you? Because Christ fills all things. <laughs> you can't separate Christ from it because He fills all things, so you can't separate the love of God. 
And I realize that this is a struggle because the circumstances surrounding many people's lives suggest otherwise, right? Like some of us still battle deep sadness. Your relationship with someone is still broken. Your finances still seem thin. The anxiety you experience may still run rampant with your mind. Your job is still a misery. Your children and your family still a mess. The loneliness you feel still drains your joy. The sickness you experience may still make you feel weak. But I am telling you in the name of Jesus on Ascension Sunday that you and I need to remember the Ascension. Christ has ascended. He has been exalted as Lord of all and His exalted presence fills all things in every way. He is in it. He is in it. He is in all of it with you. He is the all-powerful, absolute authority of all. Don't just believe in Him. When these things happen, we have to choose to believe Him. In the loneliness and in the sadness and in the sickness and in the anxiety, we can no longer just believe in Him. He never asked us to simply believe in Him. We have to believe Him. to receive His power, to trust Him, to remain loyal to Him. Even if the facts on the ground say otherwise, remember that you are a royal child of God. Remember what John said in his gospel? You have been given the right. He used the language of rights. You have been given the right to be called a child of God because what God has done, because of what God has done in Jesus. And all authority of God and all the authority of Jesus has been given to His children. So you know what that means for you? You have divine authority. Did you know that? See, this is where we're not Pentecostal enough. You have the divine authority. It's in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. I don't even know how we miss it. You have been endowed authority. You want to know why some of us don't have it? Note the same reason why fathers don't endow all authority to their children until they're old enough. I'm talking in Jesus' day. Old enough to handle the authority. You want to know why some of us don't experience the authority and power of God through our lives? Because we're not mature in our faith. Which is why Paul's number one concern in his letters are, I need you to mature. The more we mature in our faith, the more authority and power in God can trust in us, the more authority and power in God we can embody. Christ fills all things. He is there. In the midst of the sadness and the sickness, you know what you need to do? You need to speak the authority of Jesus as Lord over that situation. If Randy Otis comes and bangs down your door and says, open up in the name of the law, what does Randy mean? Well, y'all like, open up, yo. Like, <laughs> dude, I didn't ask him what that means. I open up. When he says in the name of the law, which he doesn't do, and cops don't do anymore unless it's like law and order. They don't do that anymore. If they say that, what they mean is by the authority of the, the law. When you speak the name of Jesus over something, you are speaking the authority of Jesus over something. We're not Pentecostal enough. We need to be. When people come to the eldership and say, there's brokenness that we can't avoid in our home, what do we do, John? We get there, we take oil, we take scripture, and we take prayers, and what do we do throughout every corner of the house? We speak the name of Jesus over that home. Powerful. Why? Because we actually believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that through the Spirit's presence, Christ fills all things in every way, and that there's not one place that doesn't fall under the authority of Christ, all that it needs to happen is to be claimed and submitted under His authority. And that's our job, is to claim it and submit it to His authority. When you have these things in your life, you need to walk around your house like a charismatic Pentecostal. In the name of Jesus, 
And I'm serious. I'm not even kidding you. Because that's what the church did. But we're, you know, we're not, we're not, I don't know what we are, but we don't do that as much. And we need to do that. I say this every year on Pentecost Sunday. We need to believe Jesus. And that there's not one place he doesn't fill. And if you've confessed him as Lord, then why is he not Lord of your living room, in your bedroom, in your bathroom, in your dining room table? He is. Then speak it. Because Paul said the battle's not flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the air and the rulers of this age. Paul said the battle's not your wife, not your spouse, not your son, not your daughter, not your husband, not your neighbor, not them over there, not them over here. The battle is a spiritual battle, and we love taking up non-spiritual weapons and leave the most powerful weapon of all, which is the weapon of understanding that we have the power of God and the authority of God granted to us through the power and authority of the all-powerful and authoritative one given to us to be, what's this say? His body, the what? Because we don't believe that we're the fullness of the one as the church anymore. And Ascension Sunday is a call to remember that. A call to remember that. Now, what I'm going to do is at the end of the message, I'm going to hand out something that I created for all of us called a guide to living in view of the Ascension. It's got eight practices. Well, it's actually got probably 30 practices in it that you can embrace based on certain things in your life and certain areas in your life to live in view of the ascension because I'm a practical guy. I know this has to have boots on the ground, so I'm going to give you something that gets boots on the ground. But before we get there, you've got to ask if you believe it because that's what the ascension theologically means for the Christian. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have done it, and the text wouldn't have given any indication to it. It wouldn't have used this language. Jesus' ascension means that he is in the place of all authority and power, and that he has all authority as Lord over your situation. And I have no idea why he won't fix it the way we want him to fix it. I have no idea. But my not understanding what Jesus is not doing doesn't change what Jesus is doing by remaining fully and completely present with you. Y'all, when I was sitting on it, and some of you know, when I was in, when I was in the emergency room, what, what struck me is I'm, uh, you know, my age with my nine-year-old son, and I'm hearing doctors say brain seizures, brain tumors, strokes, and, you know, um, uh, you know and I'm stuffed with like some, some memory stuff, and I'm hearing them say that. I'm thinking to myself, you know, by the name of Jesus... By the authority of Jesus, no, not now, not right now. And, and if for some reason, yeah, I'll go, I, I'll go be with Jesus. But the thing is, is Jesus is with me now. And that we have to choose to believe. He's with us now. So that's why Paul said, if I stay here, I got Jesus. If I go there, I got Jesus. But to stay here is to have more fruit for Jesus. So I'd rather stay here to have more fruit for Jesus, but here or there, anywhere, I'm with Jesus. That was Paul's theology. For us, it's up there. And that's not the truth of the ascension. We're the body of Christ. So look at what the rest of the text says. I want to read this one part again as we start to close. He is the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. If we're the body of Christ, the fullness of the King, whose presence and authority fills all things in every way, then we believe in the authority and power of Jesus, then our lives should look like it. 
We should lay down our idols because in the ascension and exaltation of Jesus, we realize that our idols actually have no power. Look at this, look. Is there any government, an earthly government, an earthly ruler from America to the farthest reaching of the earth that Jesus is not Lord over? Is there? Now, do those governments have to submit to that for that to manifest itself in some way? People have to choose what they submit to, but does Jesus not Lord of that? So then why would we live as if our lives are staked in the claim of otherworldly governments? See, that's where we miss the ascension. We've already pledged all of our allegiance and loyalty to one that we can't see the one that's actually eternal. And yet, un unless everything's in need, unless, unless we have a problem, unless we have a problem, then we ask him to do something else. It's why we get so bent out of shape and are willing to call another Christian brother or sister a name or a label or a category. Because we don't understand ascension. We haven't laid down our idols. But if Jesus is ascended, we can refuse to hold on to idols because they have no power. Rome could kill Jesus, but he overcame death. But because we believe in ascension, we can refuse to live in denial of our trials and our suffering and brokenness. We don't have to act like we don't have problems. That's why when we started out this church service, we didn't act like we don't have some men and women here who really struggle with this day. We had to acknowledge that. Because this day isn't easy for some people. The church should stop running from the suffering and trials we individually feel. But because Jesus has ascended, we also should refuse to live in denial of the trials and the suffering and brokenness in our society. Jesus is the eternal Lord. He is right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but the one is to come here and now. He is Lord. And not even, not even the governments of this world are free to ignore Jesus as Lord and choose to run the world however they want, which always includes their violence and self-interest. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God and has all power and authority. And since He is the head, now walk with me, since He's the head of the church, and we are to embody his fullness, then we must, then must, as citizens of his government, his kingdom, express and embody his power and authority in the midst of all others. That's the point. That's the point of the text. You can't get around it. When it comes to the governments of this world and all other societies, the primary role of the church is to embody God's politics not a nation's politics, and to be a prophetic witness in the name of the Lord Jesus by advocating for the things that he advocates for. We don't have a choice if we have said that Jesus is Lord. His agenda should supersede all other agendas, including my individual one and everyone associated with my humanity. The church is to become a prophetic witness, an embodied presence of the King of Kings, and we commit our lives to speaking in light of the risen, ascended, and exalted King. And we commit our lives. Listen, we commit our lives to learning His way of life. You know what the Bible calls a people who learn the way of Jesus? There's a word for it. You know what the word is? A disciple. We can't become disciples if we refuse to embody the advocacy, the politic, the life of God's government, of God's kingdom as His beloved children. We can't be disciples if we don't do that, which then puts us in a pickle because if we can't be disciples, we can't make them. And one of Jesus's last words before the ascension goes like this. 
Matthew 28, 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always till the end of the age. He is with us always to the end of the age. We can be disciples who make disciples because Christ is with us always to the end of the age because there is no place that Christ is not present. There is no place in which he cannot fill. There is no place in which he is not Lord. All that we have to do is decide whether or not we believe him to be Lord.